Take your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 11, if you will. It's good to see each one of you here. I don't know if you're here to hear the sermon or get into cool weather. You know, it's sort of mixed feelings right now. But I didn't notice till I was driving here, it said 102 on the car. And I'm guessing that's close to accurate anyway. So it's a little bit warm out there. And praise God for an auditorium that is a little cooler. I remember when we built this, I I said, I don't care much about the heat because if you put people in, it warms up. I said, but I want want nice air conditioners. So we got two 10-ton units on top of the roof up there, and that keeps people very cool. In fact, I know you ladies are often saying, it's too cold, and I know that. But the idea is I'm trying to get it cold enough to keep your husbands awake. Uh, that's, that's what I'm trying. Uh, because men, men uh, don't take well to set long. If they're not watching something, involved in something, they will be nodding off. And I have helped many men over the years get good sleep in the services. And so I, I've always been helpful there. And... Uh, But I try to reduce those numbers as best we can. We're in 2 Kings chapter 11. And if you found that, uh, could we stand together as we read these first three verses? And you can read in your Bible or follow on the screen as I read. The Bible says, And when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she rose and destroyed all the seed royal. So that's that's killing all of her grandchildren and all the sons of her of her son. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Azariah, took Joash, the son of Azariah, and stole him from among the king's sons which were slain, and they hid him, even him and his nurse, in the bedchamber from Athaliah so that she was not, he was not slain. And he was with her, hid in the house of the Lord six years, and Athaliah did reign over the land. And let's bow our heads for a word of prayer, and then you may be seated. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time to assemble together. Lord, there's just something special when God's people gather. The ecclesia, the called out assembly, the church, And Lord, I'm so glad that you not only saved us, but you gave us a spiritual family, a people we can gather with and hear the word of God and uh, be influenced by other godly believers. And Heavenly Father, I pray that even tonight, you'd take the word of God and minister to each and every one of our hearts. Now, Lord, I don't know the needs of every person here, But I know the Holy Spirit does, and he lives in each and every one of us. And he knows what we need, whether it's help or comfort or conviction or instruction or a challenge. And Lord, there's so many other ways that we have needs in our life. So Holy Spirit, take your word and do what only you can do. Apply it especially to each and every heart. Lord, we know the Word of God has one meaning, but many different applications. And I pray the truth of your Word would be shared tonight. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. God bless you. 
I want to speak on the subject tonight, how to raise good kids in bad times. Now, if you know this story, you know that this uh, child was being raised in the worst of times. Uh, Old stories have started out in poems. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Well, this was certainly the worst of times of which Joash would be raised. And yet, I think even in our society today, we could say, well, if it's not, we're getting awful close to it. I know a lot of believers are saying, I think the Lord is ready to come back. And I enjoyed that song about the Lord's return. Uh, I've often prayed, Lord, even so come, Lord, quickly. Uh, But now I pray, Lord, get us out of this mess. And I think it's the same terminology, but a little different way to say it. But we need the Lord in these difficult days. And we can still raise good kids in troubled times, in difficult times, and even in bad times. And that's one of the reasons I'm so excited about our new building project, because that is essentially for the next generation. Those two basketball courts, that children's ministry area, that's for next generation. Uh, I will not be playing a basketball game out there probably. In fact, every time I shoot, my shoulders know it. And arthritis sort of, oh, that hurt. And I, I, I know that. It's not for me. My children are all grown. One of my boys, uh, our third son, just had a Uh, Well, second son, third child, just had a birthday recently, and uh, my wife said, he's 37. I said, what? No, no. He can't be that old. Well, he is. So you know you're getting up there when your children are old, you know, and you think of them as getting older. But I'm excited that we're looking to reach the next generation Because there's a lot of young men and young ladies just like this soon-to-be king, young man, and he was taken out of a bad situation, and because he was hid in the house of God, God did some marvelous things. And I'm going to share at the end of this sermon how God transformed his life his son's life, his grandson's life, and his great-grandson's life. Imagining having an impact for the next 137 years because a little boy was hid in the house of God. I was introducing one of our members this morning to uh, another family that's been attending for many months, and I was saying, this is Ryan Sullivan. Ryan works in Sunday evenings. I said, this is Ryan Sullivan. I said, he is our youngest deacon, and he's in his early 30s. And I said, Ryan has been attending for a long time. And Ryan said, I've been attending since I was four years old. I started riding the church bus 
when I was four years old. He's grown up in the house of the Lord. He's raising a godly family. Two of the cutest girls, and Shelly, I said to your husband, with girls this cute, you need about a dozen more of them. I mean, you. <laughs> the rest of us ought to just stop and let y'all have the beautiful kids. You know, they're, they're such amazing young ladies. That, uh, and he said, oh, maybe not. But, <laughs> <laughs> but he was hid in the house of God. Now, Ryan himself could share with you, his life has not been without challenges and being raised up, and yet, he's raised in a godly home. Shelly, his wife, was raised up in a pastor's home. She, again, is raising her and her husband a godly home. Now, I know I'm speaking to people who are saying, Pastor, uh, I'm sort of past those years. I do understand that. Every time I hold a young baby, you know, a little baby, I always think to my wife, I wish we'd had more of these. I love these. And she keeps saying, wish all you want. Go ahead. (laughs) So it's not going to be applicable to children that are raised in our home, perhaps. But all of us have influence. All of us can encourage young couples raising their children. All of us can say an encouraging word to a young child that makes eternal difference. Several years ago, I, many years ago, I guess it's now, I was taking my family back to Middle Tennessee And I happened to take them to where I was raised up in Clarksville, Tennessee. And we lived in about four different homes while we were there. My father stationed on base, but we never lived on base at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, 101st Airborne. And I was able to go to three of the four houses. The fourth one I never could find. My memory of a young child, I... I knew I was on the right road, but they probably recited it or redid it, and I couldn't, couldn't recognize it. But three of the homes we went to. I took them to the church I was raised up at. When I was saved, it was a basement building. And then later, as I was a teenager, we built a second floor to it, and actually, before... They entered into the second floor, which was a beautiful facility. Uh, I was off to Bible college, never, never to return and live in that city again. Because after Bible college, you know, you, you start back, back then, you remember, older people remember, when you were 17, you started living your life, not at 31. You remember when you left home and you were ready and you were living life and getting married in your early 20s or maybe your wife was in her teens still? And, and that, that was just what we did. I remember showing them the building. It was locked up. We walked around. 
And just about the time we were going, the youth pastor of the church drove up and asked if he could help. And I said, you know, when I was a kid, I, I went here. This, this was my church. I got saved in that church. And I don't know, I was just wondering if, if we could just look inside. He said, sure. He opened up the double doors on the outside. We went inside. Same, same gold carpet and gold pews. Remember where everybody had those in the 70s. Then they went to maroon. Then they went to purple. Here we are. And, uh, and uh, I walked downstairs. Instead of the tile that was there, it was all carpeted. But I knew that building by heart. I walked down and realized that right here is where the pulpit would be. We did have a a semi-round stage that actually we had donated from another church. It had two steps on it. And right beside, on this side, and I stood in the spot, and I took a picture of it. And I was trying to tell that youth pastor, right here, that's where I got saved. I wish I could put in words with what God did with the heart of that nine-year-old boy so many years ago that gave his heart to Christ. Those, are you, those of you who are my age and older, maybe you remember the spot you gave your life to Christ. Many of you much younger can remember where you gave your life to Christ and the difference it's made in your life, in your home, in your family, in people you'll never meet this side of heaven. God wants to make a great difference. Well, this is a man, a little boy. He's a babe in a nursery. But God is about to make a great difference in the future because of the actions of a lady who would be his aunt. This was his father's sister, Jehosheba. She is married to the priest, and they steal away the boy from being killed by Athaliah, the boy's grandmother, who wants to rule on her own, and so she kills all the royal seeds, so she is now the ruler. And you say, who would do that? Well, she happens to be the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. So that gives you a clue, right? Not the best lineage of which to come for godliness. And so that is nothing to her. But God turns everything around. I want us to look a little bit in the history. So I'm going to ask you, and I don't know if we'll have the verses up there, but maybe you can put some of those up there. I want us to see what took place here. And so I want us to look at 
chapter 8, if you will. Take 2 Kings chapter 8, go back a few chapters, and let's look at verse 16, 17, and 18. I want to give you a little bit of background, and then I want to get into the message. And so in chapter 8, starting at verse 16, the Bible says, And in the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Jehoshaphat being then king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, began to reign. Thirty and two years was he when he began to reign, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, as did the house of Ahab, for the daughter of Ahab was his wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, Jehoshaphat, you know, was a very godly king. If you don't know, he was king of king of Judah. But what he did wrong was that he started being a buddy to uh, the son of Ahab. And uh, he started watching over Ahab. Well, not, not the son of Ahab, but Ahab himself, Ahab and Jezebel. So Jehoshaphat uh, yoked up himself with Ahab, who was the king of Israel, of which in that kingdom there was not one godly king, not one. Jehoshaphat was one of those godly kings of the nine godly kings in all the reign of Judah. But he, he had an affinity, and he started fellowshipping, he started going into battle with, he started protecting Israel. And what happened is Jehoshaphat, the godly seed, his son married Ahab's daughter, Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. Listen, you have to be careful. There's something that says, be not unequally yoked together in unbelievers. And that, that's not just talking about marriage, as their kids did, but it means affinity. Don't be close friends from people going the wrong direction. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Be very, very careful in being close socially with families that are going in a different direction. Make sure they're following God because your children will get to know each other and that may influence the future of their lives. And that's important to realize. Let's look at verse 24 through verse 29. It says, And Joram slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And Ahaziah his son reigned in his stead. And in the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, did Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. Two and twenty years was Ahaziah when he began to reign, and he reigned one year, one year, in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Athaliah, Athaliah, we saw her in chapter 11. She's the one that killed the seed royal the daughter of Amri, king of Israel. Now, Amri was the father of King Ahab, but the family of, of Amri is considered the godless seed. And so it was with Ahab, so it was with his son, and so it was with his grandson. Now let's look in chapter 9, and let's look at verse 16, and I want us to see how the father of Joash died. How, what happened to him? Because we start off in verse 11 
when Athaliah heard that her son was dead. So we're in chapter 9 and in verse 16. So Jehu uh, rode in a chariot and went to Jezreel, for Joram lay there, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, was come down to see Joram. Now, if you read earlier, you're going to find that Joram, king of Israel, had gotten sick. And so we see that uh, Ahaziah, who was the king of, Is- of Judah, went to visit him and find out how he's doing. But in the process of that, there was a man who was anointed to be the next king of Israel. And his job was to kill all of the family of Ahab and Jez- uh, and Jezebel because they were so wicked. And this man, Ahaziah, is now visiting the man that's marked for death. You know, you can, you can uh, get in trouble by being in wrong company. And the Bible says in verse 17, And there stood a watchman on the tower of Jezreel, and he spied the company of Jehu as he came and said, I see a company. And Joram said, Take a horseman and send to meet them, and let him say, Is it peace? So there went up one on a horseback to meet him and said, Thus saith the king, Is it peace? And Jehu said, What hast thou to do with peace? Turn thee beside, behind, behind me. And the watchman told, saying, The messenger came to them, but he cometh not again. And he sent out a second on horseback, which came to them and said, Thus saith the king, Is it peace? And Jehu answered, What hast thou to do with peace? Turn thee behind me. He didn't let the messengers go back. And the watchman told, saying, He came even unto them and cometh not again. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, godly driver, I must say. Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he driveth furiously. Every once in a while, Miss Vicky says, slow down, Jehu. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm pretty good Christian unless you put me behind a wheel. And I'm sorry about that. And Joram said, Make ready. And his chariot was made ready. And Joram, king of Israel, and Ahaz, king of Judah, went out, each in his chariot. And they went out against Jehu and met him in the portion of Naboth, the Jezreelite. You remember that Ahab stole the, uh, the vineyard of Naboth, and God had a prophet go to Ahab and Jezebel and said, In the vineyard of Naboth... God is going to require your blood and the dogs will eat your bones and lick up your blood because of what you did to this innocent man in hiring liars, false accusers, to accuse Naboth and they killed him and the king took over his vineyard because he was jealous of it. And Jezebel was the one who organized all of this. And so then the Bible says, in verse 22, And it came to pass, when Joram saw Jehu, that he said, Is it peace, Jehu? And he answered, What peace, so long as the whoredoms of thy mother Jezebel and her witchcrafts are so many? 
And Joram turned his hands and fled and said to Ahaziah, There is treachery, O Ahaziah. And Jehu drew a bow with his full strength and smote Jehoram between his arms, and the arrow went out at his heart, and he sunk down in his chariot. Then said Jehu to Bidkar, the captain, take up and cast him in the portion of the field of Naboth, the Jezreelite. For remember how that when I and thou rode after Ahab his father, the Lord laid this burden upon him. Surely I have seen yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, saith the Lord, and I will require thee in this plat, saith the Lord. Now therefore take and cast him into the plat of ground according to the word of the Lord. Now let's look at verse 27. But when Ahaziah the king saw this, he's, he's there visiting, when he saw this, he fled by the way of the garden house, and Jehu followed after him and said, Smite him also in the chariot. And they did so at the going up of Gur, which is Ibelim, and he fled to Megiddo and died there. And we'll stop right there because that shows how Ahaziah died. And Jehoram is this young boy in the nursery, and there's so many children there, and the grandmother, Athaliah, is methodically going through and killing her grandchildren and anyone who could lay claim to the throne. Jehoshaphat sees that. She very quickly runs into one of the nurseries, grabs up Joram, brings, her, brings him out, covers him up, and hides him in the house of God for six years. And then we want to see what takes place. Let's go back to chapter 11. And let's read verse 4, and I'm going to lay the foundation and be able to start here. And the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and fetched rulers over hundreds. Now, Jehoiada is Jehoshaphat's husband. He's the priest. And he fetched the rulers over hundreds with the captains and guards and brought them to him into the house of the Lord and made a covenant with them and took an oath of them in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. Now Joash is now seven years of age and he comes out, Jehoiada comes out with this young boy of seven years of age meeting with all the captains and army leaders and says, I want you to meet the king. This is the seed of the king. This is his child. And I've had him in my house for six years. And he's been hid in the house of God. And then let's look at verse 12. And he brought forth the king's son and put the crown upon him and gave him the testimony 
and they made him king and anointed him, and they clapped their hands and said, God save the king. He's seven years of age now. And when Athaliah heard the noise of the guard and the people, she came to the people in the temple of the Lord, and when she looked up, behold, the king stood by a pillar as the manor was, and the princes and the trumpeters by the king, and all the people of the land rejoiced and blew with trumpets, and Athaliah rent her clothes and cried, treason, treason. Now what's going to take place? You've got a seven-year-old king. But the seven-year-old king's been raised in the household of the priest. He's been hid in the house of God. So things are about to change in the kingdom. And the Bible says in verse 17, And Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they should be the Lord's people between the king also and the people... And you'll read in verse 18, I'll skip around a little. It says, and the priest appointed officers over the house of the Lord. And in verse 21 again, uh, 21, seven years old was Joash when he began to reign. And then in chapter 12, verse 2, and Jehoash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all his days, wherein Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. Now, Something's already happened to Joash because his name is now Jehoash. It's not Joash. It's Jehoash. Because in every one of the godly kings of Judah, the name of God has been inserted into their name. And now his name means Jehovah Fire. Jehovah Fire. Actually, Hebrew is a picturesque word, words. And fire is what it means, but literally it's the rubbing of wood under pressure. It's how you start a fire. The rubbing of wood under pressure. And that's how everyone started. They had the bow, and that's how they started their fire. This is the start of a fire in the kingdom of Judah for righteousness. And Jehoaz is now starting that. And with that as a foundation... Let me quickly share a few points here, and I trust it to be a blessing to all of us. How to raise good kids in bad times. First of all, get, give your children back to God. Amen. Give your children back to God. At least once a year, we have a baby dedication, depending on uh, the activity in the church nursery. Sometimes we've done it twice a year. But give your child back to God. And we get that from Hannah's example in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 26 and 28. And she said, O my Lord, as my soul liveth my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here 
praying unto the Lord for this child, this child. And, and of course, now he's, he's a young boy, but he's been weaned. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition which I ask of him. Therefore also have I lent him unto the Lord, and as long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. Now that sounds like it's a gift, right? And so give your child to God. Dedicate your children to the Lord Jesus Christ to raise them for him. Now, please do not bring them by the pastor's office and say, here's another one to raise. (laughs) But raise them for the Lord. And that was exactly what she was doing. And that's what she meant by that. And he worshiped the Lord there. Dedicate your children to God. Dedicate to raise them pleasing to the Lord. Now, we know we're, we're not dedicating that baby to the Lord. We're dedicating those parents to raise that baby for the Lord. It's a dedication that you make to God on behalf of your child that by God's grace, we're going to raise this child for Jesus. Amen. Now, You may have him play soccer, but that's not why you're raising him. You may have him play Little League, but that's not why you're raising him. You may have him do other sports, but that's not why you're raising him. You're raising him for God. And if you're going to do that, you're going to have to raise him in church. Because that's where he's going to learn to live for God. I was raised up in church. My brother was raised up in church. My two sisters were raised up in church. We're all serving God today. And our children are all saved. And our grandchildren have all trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Psalms 127 verse 3 says, Lo, Children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. They belong to him anyway. A dedication is simply acknowledging God's ownership of the children. He's gifted your family with the joy of raising. And they belong to him, and they'll go back to him. And at best, they're with you for a few years. Sometimes very few years. And it's such a heartbreak. But you'll see them again. And they're waiting in heaven for mom and dad and brother and sister. And you'll see them there and you'll fellowship for all eternity with them. And sometimes it's a full 18 years and sometimes it's It's 21 years, and maybe out of college, 23 years, and about 30, you're ready to show them the door. You know, they're, well, anyway, they're with you, and you know they do not belong to you, they belong to God. Children are inheritance of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. Secondly, hide the child in the house of God. That's what verse 3 says. And he was with her hid in the house of the Lord six years. And Athaliah did reign over the land. A wicked queen, but a godly refuge in the house of the Lord. Now listen, I don't know how terrible things are going to get in this land, 
But I know the Bible-believing church will always be a refuge for God's people. It's no matter what's going on out there, you ought to get a little bit of heaven's taste in here. Because this is a refuge for those who love Jesus, for those who love the Word of God, for those who have placed faith in Jesus as their Savior, for those who want to be challenged to reach others for the Lord Jesus Christ. This will always be a refuge. Hide them in the house of God. You want to raise good grandchildren and great-grandchildren and, and, uh, and it may be their parents are not that concerned, but by God's grace, if a church could run a bus ministry, you could run a car to your children and say, could I take Johnny to church? Yes. Do everything you can, everything in your power to see that children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren are raised for Christ. Do everything in your power and pray for them every single night. That God will be the number one priority of their life and they'll be drawn closer to him. Hide the church in the house of God. God always wants his people in church. By the way, thanks for being here on a Sunday night at the end of July. But Hebrews 10.25 says, And not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, exhorting them to be in church, exhorting them one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Does anybody see the day approaching? Man, I can almost hear the trumpet. In fact, I heard it over there a little, but I can almost hear the trumpet. As we see the day approaching... We ought to be more in church, not less in church. Get your kids in church. You know, during the summer times, the smallest time of the year for children's ministries here at Grandview Baptist Church? Smallest time of the year. You think, well, they're not going to school. We ought to have more children. I know. But we have summer leagues. We have soccer games. They play on Sunday now. You have little leagues. You have football. You have all the sports. But let me tell you, there's not one sport that's going to get you closer to God. You see, I remember going to high school, and I remembered all the athletes And interesting enough, not one of them was ever at the Bible club I attended. Because they weren't the Bible club kind of boys. If you want to raise godly children, I'm not saying you can't teach them sports. But you better have a priority of being at church every time you can. Because that's what's going to transform their lives. Acts chapter 2, verse 46 and 47 says, And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now, they seem like they like church. They gather together often. 
and they fellowship, and they broke bread, and they sang praises, and they lived for God. And that's what God's church ought to be. We ought to mesh our lives together. We're not here as individuals to sit and, and, and just isolate ourselves on a pew. Listen, don't ever come to church and sit down unless you've shaken hands with 10 people. Now, I've never given a number to it, but I've never sat down without shaking hands with at least 10 people. I came to church to fellowship. I need a good sermon, but I need more than that, and so do you. Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Well, I don't know anybody. You might have to, you might just have to introduce yourself. He that would have friends must show himself friendly. I don't know why nobody talks to me. (laughs) Maybe they can read by your posture. You don't want anyone to talk to you. Nothing wrong with shaking hands. I might get COVID. Got to see you through. We're here to fellowship. If you can't shake hands, fist bump, do something. But we're here for our life to mesh with other believers' lives. And if you're new to our church, let me just tell you this. We have some of the best collection of Christians you'll ever find anywhere. And that's what I believe about the good people who attend this church. They are some of the best Christians. And I don't mean the best Christians at 70 or 80. I mean they're the best Christians at 16, the best Christians at 20, at 30, at 40. I, I, I know, we're, we're, not, we're not showcases of Christianity, but we are sincere believers. We do love Jesus. We do love people. And you'll find that out. And they're wonderful people to rub shoulders with because they will strengthen you. They will encourage you. They will help you in the faith. And you say, well, yeah, but I'm at one. Yeah, I know there's a rotten apple in every barrel. I I understand that. But the vast majority of our people are very godly, very kind, very committed, very compassionate. And they care about people. More importantly, they care about you. They believe in you. And they believe in what God can do with you. And they believe in God's eyes, you're a somebody. And we all are somebodies in God's economy. Get them to the house of God. First of all, dedicate them to the Lord. Get them in the house of God. Second Peter 2 I mean, 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Flee also youthful lusts and follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace. Now here's an important phrase. With them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Where are you going to follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace? At the soccer field. At the baseball field. At a secular event. At a trailblazers game. No. 
where are you going to follow those things with them who love God, with them who call on the Lord out of a pure heart? Hey, folks, that's the crowd we're in tonight. This is the crowd that will help your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your children, and your children yet to be born. A church that believes the Word of God, that preaches Jesus Christ, that's a place where we can raise good kids in the worst of times. God wants us to be influenced by godly leaders in church. Could I say, moms and dad, your children need all the help they can to be raised godly. They need godly Sunday school teachers. They need godly men and women who love the Lord and been Christians a long time. They need their influence. And a church is full of people that will help you raise good kids. I credit our own kids loving the Lord because we had a youth group that always loved Jesus. Always loved the Lord. Always wanted to serve Him. Always wanted to win people to Christ. Always wanted to be involved. 2 Kings 12.2 And Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all his days, wherein Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Joash was raised in the house of the Lord and and raised by his father that raised him, which was Jehoiada the priest, Jehoshaphat's husband. Philippians 4, 9 says, Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the very God of peace shall be with you. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, I'm adding verses, I didn't give them. Remember them which had the rule over you, whose faith, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. God wants godly leaders not just to be a voice of preaching God's word, but to be an example in flesh that you can see and say, I need to be like that. Now, none of us men serving God would ever say, make me an example. But God's word says that every man he calls into ministry is called to be an example. Now, please, not a perfect example because there's only one perfect example, and that's Jesus himself. But we are to so live our lives that we point people to the perfect example, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Paul said, be ye followers of me, even as I also am followers of Christ. Follow me and I'll get you over here. Come on, let's go to Jesus. And that's what we need, godly leaders who are trying to guide your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren for the Lord Jesus Christ to serve the Lord, that one day they'll stand before him and be blessed of the Lord for all eternity. And then realize at a young age they make important decisions. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he'll not depart from it. Children make important decisions at young ages. Second Chronicles 22, I mean 24, verses 1 and 2. I'm not going to read the verses, but it says that Joash was seven years old and he did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. 
In 2 Chronicles 33, verses 1 and 2, it says of Manasseh, who was 12 years old, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. 2 Chronicles 34, verses 1 and 2 says, Josiah, who was 8 years of age, did right in the eyes of the Lord. And 2 Chronicles 36, verse 9 says, Jehoiachin, who was 8 years old, did evil in the sight of the Lord. He's eight years old, but he decides to do evil in the sight. Listen, children make decisions at young ages. Never, never try to, well, you're too young to understand. Brother Gardner got, age, got saved at the age five. Miss Sarah, weren't you five when you got saved? Both of them five years old. I know from VBS they were both puppets. They told me. <laughs> the children are not in here. They both got saved at five years old. It, it looked like it took. They meant it. They knew that God was speaking to their heart. They knew they needed to trust Christ in their, as their Savior. Never, never just, you know, I don't know if they understood. I don't know. Well, why don't you, under, why don't you give us a good explanation of substitutionary atonement then? And we'll see if you're saved. You don't have to understand the theological terms. You just have to know you're a sinner and he's the Savior and you need him. And you come as a little child with faith to trust Christ as your Savior, and your life can be forever changed. At such a young, tender age, they can decide what direction their life will go for the rest of their life. About a week or so ago, I, I don't usually do things on Facebook, but I commented on Facebook that I'm in a transition and this 38th year will be 38 years. And it was interesting. I had, you know, many different people. But uh, one young man, a pastor from North Carolina, wrote back and said, I was so glad I was in that early youth group. And I was so thrilled with what God did in my life. Now he pastors a church, him and his wife, and I think five or six kids. Wonderful family. I got another note from a lady, and I believe she's living in Arkansas, and she said, Pastor, I just wanted you to know, I I teach in a Christian school. I didn't know that. People are serving God all around. They make decisions at early years, and they keep on living for God. I could probably ask you tonight how many of you came to faith in Christ at an early age. You'd be surprised how many would raise their hand. The vast majority of Christians come as children, saved at a young age, baptized at a young age, faithful. And by the way, if you let your kids get saved, let them get baptized. It's just obedience to Christ's command. What, what if your child came and you said, son, I want you to take out the trash. Okay, dad. When, when you want me to do it, well, I'm going to give you a few years so you understand what it means. Maybe by the time you're 15, you'll be, you'll be smart enough to understand 
It means to go underwater and come up out of water. That's what it means. It's representing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But what does it mean to a believer? It means I've obeyed what Jesus told me to do. Period. That's what it means to me. That's what it meant to me as a nine-year-old boy. I was doing what Jesus told me to do. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. That's what Jesus told us to do. Son, take the trash out to the road. Well, Dad, why do I need to do that? Well, son, let me explain it to you. I never had that as a, as a child. Because I said so. My father was teaching me obedience, not to understand everything in life. Obedience. Why do we do it? Saved at a young age, baptized at a young age, faithful to church at a young age. How many of you ever grew up and you got uh, pins or something for perfect attendance? You ever do that? Okay. I got my first year, and then I got the wreath the second year, and then I got my bar the third year, and the tenth year our church stopped it, but I would have had 20 years in a row without missing one Sunday, one Sunday night, one Wednesday night. I've told people this. Now, COVID has totally messed up my record, I'm telling you that. But for most of my life, there's not been a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night I've missed. There's probably that many days in my whole life, if you take COVID out of the scene, and then I'm preaching from home, but if you took that out, and let me say for every one of I missed, there's probably 50 other services I went to for every one I missed because Back then, you had youth rallies, you had youth conferences, you had uh, retreats, you had youth camp where you hear three, four messages a day. You had missions conferences, you had evangelists, you had revivals. If you grew up in the 40, 50 years ago, you grew up going to church. I told my parents we could save rent and just live there. Because we just go home at night, sleep, and come back. Almost. Let me end with this. Point four. And for, for a congregation, that's always comforting words. Let me end with this. As one pastor says, I'm circling the runway, but I still have fuel. Um, Realize the profound effect of being raised in church will produce. Would you just think about the profound effect it's had on your life if you were one of those so fortunate, so fortunate to be raised up in church. The profound effect it's had on your life. And if you're one of those who did not have that experience, it's never too late to start. And your life can have a profound effect at any point you start for the rest of your life and beyond your life. 
2 Timothy 3.15 says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith that is in Christ. Joash, who later had his name to Jehoash, because Jehovah's name was put in that. Joash meaning fire, but now it's God's fire. Now he's God's servant to kindle the fire of revival in the nation of Judah. Jehoash reigned for 40 years and did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. And his son Amaziah, his son reigned for 29 years and did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. And then Uzziah, his grandson, reigned for 52 years and did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. And then his great-grandson, Jotham, reigned for 16 years and did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. And for 137 years, wow! There's a one-year-old baby. He's in the nursery. If a grandmother gets a hold of him, he's going to see Jesus. He's going to go to heaven. But there's an aunt who's godly. And she goes in there and steals the boy away and hides him in the house of God. And 137 years later, the influence is still felt. Don't tell me living for God is a waste of your life. It will go on for eternity till Jesus comes. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Oh, I hope the challenge tonight is Let's influence our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be here and say, Pastor, I don't have any children. Could I say influence all the children you can get around for Jesus? Influence every boy or girl you walk by in the hallway Give them a good word. Encourage them. Every teenager, try to build them up. Don't always correct them. Just love on them, love on them. Correct them in a, in a mild way, but love on them. Pray for them. Encourage them. Brag on them. We've got such wonderful young ladies and young men in our church. I'm so proud of every one of them. How many would say to me, Tonight, Pastor, I, I want to help the children and grandchildren. I want to help the children that I influence. Would you just raise your hand all throughout this auditorium? God bless you. Heavenly Father, you see our heart. Lord, help us to raise good kids in bad times. We need your help, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Let God speak to your heart. Let God do something in your life. Maybe you want to come and have a word of prayer and ask that God to help your family, help you influence your children, your grandchildren.
Maybe right where you stand, you can talk to the Lord what you want God to do in your life. Pray that God would do something in our church for the sake of children, for the next generation. If we don't reach them, there's not many who will even endeavor to. God bless you. You may be seated. I could have listened for 15 minutes, pass it on. I love that as a teenager. That song, I just love it. Uh, We're going to watch a video. I know I've kept you long, but I've kept you cool. Okay, so it was all a part. Uh, There was a method in the madness. I was at least keeping you cool. Feel free to socialize ways before you walk out into 102 degree weather. Let's watch this video. On Sunday, August 7th, there will be a very important meeting for all Sunday school teachers with Brother Justin Lehman. Join us in the auditorium at 5 p.m. for the preliminary service. Then we will be dismissed to the Abundant Life room after the special music. Please bring a snack to share if you would like, which can be dropped off in the Abundant Life room before the service. Mark your calendars for the churchwide outreach this Saturday, August 6th at 10.15 a.m. Join us for a delicious breakfast and an opportunity to share your faith in our community. Looking for a Bible study group? We have something for everyone here. The men's prayer breakfast meets on Saturdays at 9 a.m. in the Abundant Life Room. You will get to participate in an open discussion about the proverb of the day and be served breakfast and spend time in prayer. The ladies' Bible study is held Monday at 9.30 a.m. at the Mutzler's home. Enjoy a time of fellowship, a cup of coffee, and a Bible lesson from Miss Vicki. There will be a special teen soul-winning marathon on Saturday, August 20th. The marathon starts at 10 a.m. and will conclude at 6 p.m. If you would like your teenager to participate, please see T.J. Gardner for more details. If this is your first or second time here, we want to answer your questions and get to know you. Please fill out a Connect card in the pew in front of you and bring it to guest services as you exit the auditorium. We would love to meet you and you will receive a gift card. Have a great week and we'll see you Wednesday night at 7. Let me mention if you're a guest, we have a, a gift card for you. And then also, uh, the ladies' Bible meeting is not during the summer, so it starts up in September. Just wanted you to know. God bless you. Have a great week. <laughs>